Mark. Now, some of the sports fans among you may have heard the story about how the German national soccer team's away kit is green, supposedly because they borrowed the colour from Ireland. Now, we'll talk about that in a moment, but Ireland has lent its colours to other sports. And today we're going to talk about motor racing and specifically British racing green. That's the trademark green that you'd associate with Jaguar and others. It's the colour that's worn by most British motor racers. Uh, That is itself borrowed from Ireland because back in 1903, the Irish public and indeed the world public were captivated by something called the Gordon Bennett Cup the first ever motor race ever held on these islands. Motorsports were illegal in England and so the fast-paced event took place in rural Ireland, the first ever closed-circuit motor race which brought massive media attention to these shores. And if you're thinking, God, that sounds like something that Donald Fallon would have a really interesting hidden histories on, well, I'm hoping you're right because he's here now and I hope this is interesting. Uh, Donald, as ever, thanks for coming in. Um, First of all, before we talk about the British racing green, the German green, this idea that the German national soccer team wear green because of us. I'm sorry to tell people it's not true. No. There, 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 people all over the country this one passes around bar stills all the time it's mm. a sports fact and it's not true it's an endearing and an enduring myth uh, and get it out of the way I mean the story is that we were the first people to play Germany after World War II yeah. not true that was Switzerland and to be honest the jersey has a lot more to do with aesthetics than anything else because the, the colours of the German Football Federation are green and white so okay. it's a nod towards a, a football pitch but British racing green is a different thing entirely still the colours worn by those representing Britain in a very very different sporting field that is a nod towards this country So we're talking about the Gordon Bennett Cup which was the biggest event in the world once upon a time and really like the creme de la of motor racing. It was a global sensation because it was mad. I mean, people were often killed and, 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 and injured watching it and there was big, big money behind it. You know, it had everything that, that, that makes these great big events. James Gordon Bennett Jr. is, is the publisher of the, of the New York Herald, an internationally successful businessman and he has a great graph for sports and I mean, literally everything. I mean, he organises the first polo games ever in the US. He founds the Gordon Bennett Cup in ballooning mm. uh, but it's motor racing where this man really made his name as a, as a sports uh, mogul and the first ever Gordon Bennett Cup happened in 1900 Paris to Lyon such a difficult route that only two cars actually finished and (laughs) and the race kind of trades on this reputation you know that it's near impossible to get to the end never mind to win the thing Uh, and when England won it when an English victory happened in the 1902 race that meant English motor racing now found itself like the Eurovision you know if you win it you better host it they found themselves tasked with hosting the 1903 Gordon Bennett Cup for which there was a problem because it would have been illegal for them to do so a very significant barrier All right, yeah the, the law gets in the way. Motor racing is illegal in the UK at that time. And then the idea is raised of having the race in Ireland. But of course, Ireland is part of the UK. Mm. Uh, and some people welcome and some people oppose this idea. And I mean, what they're, what they're, I think what they're doing is they want to have it in as rural a location uh, as they can. And motor racing was viewed very much at the time by some social commentators as incredibly dangerous. And to be honest, looking at it, I mean, mm. you couldn't argue really with them. The 1901 Paris to Bordeaux rally resulted in eight deaths. 1903 Paris to Madrid, a race was called off because of the sheer number of accidents when they made it to Bordeaux. So the laws in Ireland and the UK are pretty much the same when it comes to these matters and there needs to be a a quick thinking way to get around this. So how do we get around that then? Because if we're part of the UK and it's illegal in the UK, how do we manage to to cajole our way through the The answer is the Light Locomotives Ireland Act of 1903 (laughs) which is rushed through Westminster. This act would exempt cars from existing speed limits in Ireland. (laughs) 
on one day, the day of the race. So yeah. in other words, we had a one-day lifting of speed limits in Ireland to allow this motor race to go ahead. I hope the opponents of Shane Ross's clampdown and drink driving are listening that this isn't the sort of thing that you can generally do on a whim. Um, immediately then, of course, so the idea that we have decided to abolish speed limits for the day no doubt brings an awful lot of attention to Ireland. It does, it does. And all eyes turn to Leash, Carlo and Kildare, the proposed route uh, of the Cup. And the international media attention is phenomenal. I mean, the Irish Times hire a young, broke, freelancing writer in Paris, uh, a man named James Joyce, to interview one of the leading motor race drivers (laughs) of the day, uh, who they believed would actually be competing in the Gordon Bennett Cup here. So, you know, right across the world, there's massive international attention on Ireland and this rural route uh, as well. I love the idea that it kept Joyce in a shilling as well while he was doing (laughs) some of his other more long-form journalism. Uh, What was the route of this? You mentioned uh, Leash, Carlo and Kildare. Exactly, where does it go? So we have a figure-eight route centred on a tie and what we end up with then is a journey that will take in Ballyshannon, Kilcullen, the Curra, Kildare, Monaster Evans, Strad Bally and a tie, continuing through Castle Dermot and Carlo and then returning uh, to a tie. Okay. And I think being fearful of the kind of tragic scenes that had marred racing in France in particular, the close course will be supervised and marshaled by some 7,000 men oh, uh, to keep wow. spectators out of harm's way. So you have thousands of men from the Royal Irish Constabulary uh, as well as volunteers and basically their job is just keep spectators as far as possible from the race. Yeah. And the cars come from everywhere. They come from France, the United States, Germany, Britain and they're painted in their respective national colours. So the Americans race in red, the French in blue, Germany in white and Britain as a nod towards Ireland hosting the race in emerald green and and such is where uh, British Racing Green is born from Um, tell us about the day itself Uh, I'd imagine that given the amount of global attention to all of this that it turned out to be quite a lucrative little affair it did and it's a beautiful day as well it's the 2nd of July the entrepreneurs had a field day you read the newspapers at the time everyone put up these observation stands you know along the route just the Airbnb of its day it was (laughs) if you were able to pay for it you know you you could watch this thing happen and apparently the crowds were so large they wouldn't be surpassed until the Eucharistic Congress uh, in the wow, 1930s okay. so we're talking hundreds of thousands of people you know flocking into rural Ireland to watch this race and it creates this massive buzz you know and not just in the towns and the villages of the route all over Ireland this is basically the forerunner of Formula 1 you know it's big big money stuff mm. uh, and the Guardian their, their columnist in Dublin has this, this great report on the, just the feel good atmosphere in the city they say the weather is at its best in Dublin and everyone here is hoping that the great race of tomorrow will be run under such favourable conditions as hold today the influx of visitors is still going on and it seems to be impossible for the inhabitants of this city to find a single bed for them. So there's big money in all of this and be you in Dublin or be you down the country it generates this great buzz. Big money and accommodation shortages it all sounds very yeah. very familiar really doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? Um, true to reputation though and this being a race which was uh, you know so dangerous that it couldn't happen in other parts of the world it did have its own fair share of drama and injury didn't it? It was a very dangerous it says something about how, how maybe the British political class thought about Ireland oh no this is too dangerous to have in England we'll have it, yeah. <laughs> we'll have it, we'll have it over there instead and the race lived up to its reputation. Uh, Charles Jarrett, who's a member of the, the Great Britain team, hit an embankment and just somersaulted up into the air uh, with a few broken bones, but he was otherwise fine. Uh, well, his race was over okay. uh, early on. Bar, bar the and broken bones. Bar the broken bones. He was okay. And, and Jarrett was probably the most unlucky man that day because more than any other racer, he actually tried to familiarise himself with the route okay. uh, in advance of the race. And in his memoir, he talks about how the course having been decided upon, we started on our preparations for the race very early in the year. Every available minute we 
could spare from business saw us in Ireland travelling round and round the course which mm. had been selected for the race and making ourselves acquainted with every twist, bend and turn. Not particularly well acquainted given what happened to him. But his memoir is great because he sounds like this perfect gentleman. He says, I could fill a book with experiences we had from practising over the course prior to the race. One thing we discovered was that the roads in Ireland were used as farmyards for the breeding of chickens and other birds and beasts. <laughs> Whenever we killed a chicken, we made a point of finding the owner and compensating him for his loss. Oh, <laughs> what, what, a, what a gentleman. I can't imagine that happening in motor racing today. No, if you, these days if you had some hit and run with some uh, some local poultry, you'd probably head straight to the butcher and ask for it to be deep fried. Um, who emerges as winner then in all of this with this global field? Camille Genazzi is representing Germany, but he's, he's Belgian and he took the £8,000 reward. Well, it was a lot Which of money. Huge for £8,000 in 1903 is, a, is an awful lot of money. And he completed the course in six hours, 36 minutes. And he was known as the Red Devil this marvellous big red beard that he had. Uh, he drove a Mercedes and the company did very well out of all the publicity they got from his win. His life is mad though. I mean, he, he dies this bizarre death. 1913, 10 years after the race, he's out hunting with his friends and he hides behind the bush and makes animal noises as a prank on his hunting buddies who opened fire, fatally wounding him. So it's just an extraordinary sorry, life. Sorry, say that again and say it more slowly so people it's, take in the lunacy of that. The man who wins the first ever close circuit motor race in the world dies a decade later because he's hunting with his friends he hides in a bush and makes animal noises and one of his friends fires into the bush and kills him absolutely oh mad I mean what a life what a life that is what a way to go, <laughs> way that, to go. That, that's a story that it's unfortunate that you can't you know dine out on afterwards you know with the notable <laughs> handicap of being dead unfortunately um, motor racing of course goes on from strength to strength and it only gains influence in the years to follow all of this yeah this was the golden age uh, of motor racing and the Vanderbilt Cup was launched in New York the following year in 1904 America you know came into the race a little bit late but they did quickly catch up uh, with the Europeans in particular the French the French had a great draw uh, for motor racing and, and still do mm. and the Gordon Bennett Cup was eventually wound up in 1905 so two years after the Great Irish Spectacular but Grand Prix racing uh, would follow and of course that changed the nature uh, of motor racing in Europe forever but I'd, it's it's still going strong I'd imagine that route that you mentioned going through uh, Athai, Ballyshannon, Kilcunnan, the Curra, Kildare, Monastrevan uh, it probably doesn't have the thing that I don't know whether you saw earlier this week that struck the street circuit for this week's Formula 1 Grand Prix in Azerbaijan where they neglected to seal one of the manhole covers because it's on a street circuit so uh, one car drove over this manhole cover which had not been sealed for the weekend sending it slightly into the air and then the next car that drove over it completely tore the underbelly out of the car because of this loose thing and it had to basically mm. cancel 24 hours worth of racing so you wouldn't have had that in Kilcullen now <laughs> in 1903 uh, Donald as ever thanks a million to smashing stuff Donald Fallon is a historian and the author of the Come Here To Me blog and books volumes 1 and 2 of which are in all good bookshops now and probably some bad ones too 